0: Good to have you here. We are finishing up this series entitled The Storyteller, and today we come to the story. Uh, If ever a story deserved to be referred to as the story, this story is that story. It uh, was called by Charles Dickens the greatest story ever. This story has inspired art by Rembrandt and music and poetry and all kinds of other things uh, through the ages. It is the story most popularly referred to as the, uh, the story of the prodigal son, which is not an official name and uh, perhaps a little bit misleading, unfortunately. Uh, remarkably, this is a story that is so well known, but uh, I would argue perhaps not nearly as well understood as it is known. Uh, it is, um, it's, it's good, it's remarkable, if you've been here, you might know this is the third of three stories that sort of get packaged together uh, to make one big point. So Jesus is, uh, in Luke 15, 1, Jesus is uh, sort of dressing down the Pharisees and the tax collectors. They're being uppity and harumphing and having, uh, uh, making a, a little bit of a scene over the fact that Jesus is having a meal with tax collectors and sinners. And uh, they consider themselves way too good for that. And they, they believe that Jesus' association with these people alone sort of disqualifies him from some of the moral authority he is, uh, he is claiming to have. So uh, he tells three stories. And, uh, and, and these three stories are alike in that they, they each have something lost. They have some other group of things that are not lost. And then there's a God character. So in the first story, the thing that's lost is a sheep. and the second one, it's a coin. So the things that are not lost, there's 99 sheep, and then there's uh, nine coins. And the, and, and the God figure, the Jesus figure, in the first story is the good shepherd. and the second one, it's this peasant woman that keeps looking for the coin. And and now we come into the story of the prodigal son, which has something lost, ostensibly the, the younger son, the prodigal son. You've got something not lost, uh, the elder brother. And then you have a God figure, which is uh, the father of these two boys. And uh, this is remarkable, as I said, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, It begins um, in chapter uh, 15. It begins with verse 11. So we're just going to work our way through this great story. And um, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Give me my share of the estate. Now if we read this through 21st century eyes, western eyes, eyes that celebrate individualism, eyes in which the family is, is defined loosely as, as uh, uh, an adult or two, perhaps some children uh, together, and, and, and it's understood that people are going to travel all over the place in order to uh, advance their career for whatever reason. So if we see this through this, this set of eyes, this perspective, then this request that the young man is making for his share of the estate is uh, a little bit forward. Uh, you know, he comes off being a little bit uh, perhaps aggressive. But, you know, uh, no more entitled than many young people today, right? Oh, those millennials, they're always making demands, da-da-da-da-da. So so we sort of see it as like, okay, it's a little aggressive, but not that far out of line. If we understand this in the context of of first century Judaism, (laughs) then this is a very different request. This is an unthinkable request. Okay, so now you have a culture that honors not youth, but old age. And you have families defined not just as, you know, as, as, a, as a nuclear family, but as grandpa and grandma and, and aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody together. And, and where uh, you don't travel, you don't leave home, because you're expected to stick around and take care of the people as they grow older, right? And the money isn't really your money, it's the collective money. Of the family, and so you don't spend it because the family has needs. Uh, So, so through this this perspective, this statement that the young man makes to his father is essentially, "Hey, could you hurry up and die already? Right? I mean, I can't wait around forever. I want what's mine. This town is killing me. I cannot wait to get out of here. So, please uh, get on with it, right?" When Ken Bailey, who's a, a biblical scholar, who's, who's returned to the to the U.S. a few years ago, he he was living in the Middle East for about forty years, and he was teaching uh, the Bible. His specialty was the Gospels. When he uh, would teach this parable, he would always ask, "Have any of you known of any son that made this request to their father?" and Two of He says, every time I told it, everyone said, no, this is unthinkable, this is unheard of. This is so offensive that this son would say this. Okay, But he did. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And it would have gone one-third to the younger son, two-thirds to the older son. The older son uh, has more responsibilities for the extended family. And so he gets more uh, of a share but he divides the property not long after that the younger son got together all he had and set off to a distant country okay so now again we got to read this we got to understand this through first century jewish eyes we got to understand how the pharisees are going to hear this story because that's who the, jesus is speaking to so when the son is given his share of the estate Right? This doesn't come in cash. This is going to be in land and, and livestock. And in that culture, you can't. It, there's nothing liquid about your assets. Right? So if you're going to sell the land, it's going to take years. It's not going to take months. Certainly not going to take weeks or days. There's going to be lots of negotiations going on with lots of extended people in order to work this out. So when we read that, that not long after that, the younger son got all his stuff together, what we know is there's a fire sale, right? He's, he's been selling the family estate for pennies on the dollar, right? Because he's just anxious to get out of town. And then he heads out to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So uh, we're going to read something about, you know, Vegas. I mean, he heads out. And uh, and he discovers, <laughs> as is often discovered, that he doesn't have as much money as he thought, and that it goes relatively quickly. And so he burns through uh, his resources. After he had spent everything, there's a severe famine in the whole country. So stocks drop, the Dow's down thirty uh, percent, and and now he's about to discover that he didn't actually make any friends during his uh, spending frenzy he had lots of people around him he's picking up the tab he's living large but now uh, everything goes south and he discovers that he is in uh, need so he went it says verse 15 he went and hired himself out uh, to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything so, the boy falls hard and fast. That's not a big surprise. We sort of saw this coming. The Pharisees would have loved this part, right? This uppity, indignant, ungrateful, not listening to us, not following our rules. This is good. Good. He'll let him eat with the pigs. Uh, that's probably their attitude. Because he's, he's been offensive to them. And we actually learn a number of things in these two verses, right? There's a lot of insight. There's a lot of pain that is being portrayed in these two verses, um, Bailey says that in the Middle East, you don't really get fired, you get reassigned. So uh, you're given an assignment that nobody expects that you will take. So that's clearly what's happening here, right? Let's let's give this Jewish kid who considers pigs ceremonially unclean and wouldn't go near them, let's give him a job tending to the pigs, right? So nobody expects he's going to take this job because it's beneath him. We also learn he's in a gentile land, right? He didn't just leave. He didn't just leave the family, right? He left everything, right? So he is way far away. And 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 this means this is how the Pharisees would hear this. This means this guy can't come back. Right? He is it's not just that he lost the family money. He lost it outside of the nation. He, he lost it to the Gentiles. This is unthinkable that he would do this. There was actually a ceremony uh, in Jewish villages called Kazaza, in which uh, a, a Jew who has gone to be with the Gentiles and now wants to come back uh, would be blocked from coming back. And they would break a vase. And it's sort of a symbolic, you know, this is broken, our relationship is broken, you can't come back. So uh, this boy can't go home. Right? He has burned his bridges at this point. That's how this would play out. And again, the, 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 the suggestion is that the Pharisees would see Jesus telling the story. So far they're with him. Yes, this guy, he's not following tradition. He's not following custom. He's not doing what we're suggesting he ought to do. And he falls, and everything comes apart for him, and he's, and he's living with the pigs. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we like these stories. Okay. But uh, we read on. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Now, it's hard for us to understand uh, everything that's going to be happening here, because we live in a very different culture. But but this is a culture of honor, right? I mean, we sometimes hear about you know, Japanese executives who who end their own life when the company has a bad quarter, right? Because on their watch, this scandal has happened. It's just unthinkable that this would happen. So there there is a sense of honor and propriety and shame. We, we're sort of we're past that as a culture. We don't we don't recognize those things very much. So, um, so there's, there's some things going on here. This boy is going to repent, and he's going to, he's going to try and go home. And what happens next is, again, not at all what the Pharisees were expecting. So it says, verse 20, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and was filled with compassion for him. So you've got to know the father is looking every day for this son, right? I mean, he just keeps scanning the horizon. No doubt he's heard all these bad things. People have offered friendly reports, right? Oh, we heard about your son, you know, he's, he's into drugs or he's, you know, he's got AIDS or whatever. He's, he's getting all these horrible reports. But he's his son and he loves him. And so every day he's looking out to see him. And when he sees him still a long way off, because he knows him, he knows that walk, he recognizes that he's been waiting for it. When he sees him still a long way off, He's filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Okay, so in the Middle Eastern culture, men don't run. Okay? Important men certainly don't run. And there's a little bit of that today. Right? It, would, it would be really weird and a little bit unsettling if we saw a videotape of President Obama running to a meeting, right? Because he's late. You'd go, no. No, 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 the president doesn't run, right? I mean, you could exercise, you could get on a treadmill, you could go jogging, that's okay. But running because you're late, running because you're needy, running because you want to express something, no, 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 that's not the way it works. Well, in in first century Middle East, of course, men are in robes, and so they're going to have to hike up their robes and show off their white legs, right, and run through the village. It's not a pretty scene. It's not supposed to happen. So here is this father who's running to welcome back his son. He throws his arms around him and kisses him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he repents, uh, right? He, the, this is, so there's, there's confession and repentance here. This, this looks to be sincere. Confession means to agree with. Uh, so he's not, he doesn't say, um, I'm back, you know, it was just a, it was just a youthful thing I did, right? Everybody does it. It's just sowing a little wild oats. Boys will be boys, but it's all good, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, uh, I've got issues because of... Right, you or because of the school, schooling I got, or because of you know, it's the Democrats' fault, it's the Republicans' fault, it's the mainstream media, it's ISIS, it's you know, common core, whatever it is. He doesn't blame anything, he says, I have sinned. Okay, so he's owning it, he's calling it, he's agreeing with God. What I did was rebellion, it was wrong, and then. Uh, he's turned around. So that's what repentance means, to turn around. Repentance doesn't simply mean you're sorry, right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, you can be sorry because it's not working, <laughs> right? I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry. I feel bad that this isn't going the way I wanted it to go. That's not repentance. Repentance is, is, is agreeing and then turning around and moving in the other direction. And so he repents. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. So it's almost like he shuts the boy down. You can imagine now, the boy's been thinking about what he's going to say for days. He's been playing out this conversation as he's walking back, thinking, uh, I'm not going to have many opportunities to get this right. Right? Uh, and and so I'm going to lead. <laughs> the first thing I'm going to say is, this is on me. I was an idiot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Right? I'm willing to come back as a slave. The father has run, no doubt, right, wanting to prevent anybody from breaking the vase and instituting sort of the ceremony and saying to his son, you're not welcome. The father wants to be the first one there. And he's there with compassion. And he says, Put a robe on him. This is a sign of honor, right? You, you know, he's changing him out of his dirty clothes that he was in the pigsty with. Put a robe on him. This is what Pharaoh does when he elevates Joseph. And then he says, uh, Put a ring on his finger. Okay, so this is a signet ring. This is a, this is a sign of he's, he's one of the family. It's like, give me a credit card. Right, if the if the prime minister has the ring of the king, I've got the authority. Right, I can do, I can act like the king now. So, give him the credit card, and then he says, "Put sandals on his feet." Uh, so, slaves would be barefoot. A son would have on shoes. So he's lifting him up, and then he says, "Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate." So, I heard a comedian say, "Only two people sorry to hear." that the prodigal son was returning. One was the older brother. The other was the fatted calf. Uh, So the fatted calf is killed. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, this again (laughs) is not what the Pharisees were expecting to hear. And for that matter, it's pretty shocking. This is not what Most of us today would do, right? So, uh, you know, this is probably the way it would play out between a father and a son, where the son has essentially said, you know, drop dead, give me my money, spit in your face, I hate you and everybody that looks like you, I'm walking away from everything you ever taught me right the father would when he sees the son come back after whatever six months would 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 maybe embrace him and say it's so good to have you back your mother's going to be so happy we got to go find her right now oh you don't know how much we've been thinking about you we want to you know we're so glad you're back we're so glad you're back by the way you're grounded for the next 30 years maybe longer right I mean it, you know but we'll talk about that later on Right, it would, it would not be, oh, it's all good, everything's just like before. You spent half of our funds, don't worry about it. right It would be, oh, yeah, no, there's consequences for your actions. But we'll talk about that after you go see your mom. So, uh, so that's, that's what's going on, and here's where it takes another interesting twist. Meanwhile, Jesus says, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has sent him, uh, because he has him back safe and sound. Now, uh, it's probably about this moment that some of the Pharisees begin to understand where Jesus is going with this. Maybe not just yet. But within probably the next 20 to 30 seconds, some of them are going to start to clue in. Oh wait, there's the older brother, right, who stays at home, the firstborn, Mr. Honor Society, overachiever, right, never never caused problems, never have a scandal. There's that guy, and that guy is us in the story. We're the good ones, we're the righteous ones, we're the ones that have done everything right. Uh oh, where's this headed? Meanwhile, the older son is in the field. Of course, he's working. Comes near the house. hears the music and dancing. Calls one of his servants. What's going on? And he hears, Oh yeah, Dad hired a, you know your Dad hired an event planner and you know got the rented out the big space and there's a DJ in there and lots of food. It's been catered. It's great. Everybody's having a great time. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Okay, so now you got to understand. This is going to sound different to a first-century Jewish listener, because uh, this is the kind of awkward family moment you don't want playing out in front of in front of anybody else. The father has to go out and plead. So the older son, now think about this: the older son now owns everything, right? It's his because the father has already given. A third of the estate over to the younger son. So everything that's left is ostensibly the older son's. He's not, it's not yet his because his father is still alive, but it's understood that it's his. And the oldest son would have a position of honor in the family and would be expected to be acting as a host at a party like this. But but he won't come in. And the father has to go out and plead, right? So, I mean, you've been in these situations. Maybe it's been your family. You've got other families over. Maybe you're the other family, and and at the table, things get a little bit awkward, and then the mom or the dad says to one of the kids, you know, why don't the rest of you keep eating, and Jack is going to come with me into the kitchen for just a little discussion, and we'll get the coffee, right? And everybody knows, you know. Uh, okay, the things are not happening the way they're supposed to happen, and everybody's a little bit on edge. So the older brother is angry and won't go in, and the father goes out and pleads with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Okay, really? Never? So uh, we're getting a little bit of a picture of the self-righteousness of this, of this guy. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat I could celebrate with my friends. Well, when this son of yours who's come, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Right? So the older brother is going, look, I am not doing this. Right? I don't want to see that guy. He's an idiot. He's a jerk. I have been here. I have been doing everything you asked. I have been the one that has tried hard. And and this guy, I'm embarrassed that he shares our last name. He played you for a fool. I am not going to be part of this. I can't believe you're doing this. You should be throwing a party for me. You've never done that. And now you want me to just, you know, act nice and pretend like everything is going well. And the father says to the Pharisees, right, to the older brother, so... At this point, I think everybody's clued in. You have always been with me and everything I have is yours. But when we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. So, suddenly, we clue in that the real scandal here, the real offense is not being committed by the prodigal, it's being committed by the elder brother. He's the one that is causing the father's heart to break now. So, let's just step back from this. There's parables again. Some people argue that parables just have one point. Um, I think most would say now there's three or four things that are happening in a parable. You can't you can't mine them for you know twenty or thirty points. You can't push them that hard. But you, you can step into these stories and, and think through them. It's a familiar context, and you think through them, and then you get to see things that you might not otherwise see. So I want to suggest there's at least in this most famous of parables, perhaps the, the Good Samaritan rivals it, but this is the one that gets the most ink. Uh, I want to suggest there's at least a half dozen takeaways for us. So ever so briefly, number one, religion doesn't work. Okay, that's that's one of the big points that Jesus is making here. He makes it over and over and over, right? There's two ways to be sideways with God. You can be a rebel or you can be religious. Neither works. You You can be a prodigal, you can be a Pharisee right you can be unrighteous you can be self-righteous doesn't matter neither of these plan works they're they're different you know the the prodigal their sins are more visible the 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 pharisee their sins are more spiritual and internal you might not be able to see them quite the same you know the prodigal's generally sort of liberal the the uh, the the Pharisees more conservative. You've got different, you've got very different sort of DNA working here. But the fact of the matter is, neither of these paths work. And, and Christianity is not a religion. <laughs> Again, religion some says somehow we've got to reach up to God. And Christianity says, no, 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 we can't do that at all. God has reached down to us. So there is a third, there's a third way here. It's not irreligion, it's not religion, it's the gospel. It's not, there is no God, I get to do whatever I want. It's not, I'm going to be good and God is going to have to love me or care for me. It's, we're all broken, we all fall short. God is loving. Not because we're lovable, but because God is the hero and he loves And he runs, right? Think about this. Whatever kind of moral idiots we are acting like, God runs back to us. Which leads to the second point. The first one is that religion doesn't work. The second point is that we uh, we need to understand God will take us back. God will take you back. So Jesus tells a story. He makes it up. He makes up a story. Now let's just understand the story Jesus is making up here. He picks somebody who's doing every possible thing wrong he can, he can pack into a story. Right? Just spitting in the face of his family, going and, and, and being irresponsible, being ungracious, you know, blowing all his money with prostitutes. He sort of throws every kind of sin into this that he can think of. And as soon as that person suggests that he wants to turn around and come back to God, God gets portrayed as a lovesick puppy who will, with the first little invitation, run back and jump into your arms. that's, That's the story Jesus tells. It's unthinkable. It's an unthinkable story. The the father runs. He humiliates himself. There's no level of disgrace the father will not entertain in order to win somebody back. We need to hear this. You need to hear this. God loves you. You've done many things wrong. It's a given. If you understand that and, and you turn to God, God will take us back. Which leads to the third point. We need to repent, right? We need to own our sin. We can't say, I, 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 you know, I've fallen, just, I've fallen short. There's a couple things I didn't do perfectly right. A few mistakes were made. No, no, no. That's not the attitude. That's the attitude of a Pharisee, right? So we need to say, uh, yes, I have been a prodigal. I've been a rebel. Or we need to say, I've been incredibly self-righteous. I think I'm better than other people. Now, on most days, I actually manage to be both the prodigal and the Pharisee on the same day, right? And and I think we just have to we just have to understand we're broken at such a profound level that that is what we do, and our attitude, our posture needs to be one of humility and brokenness, and. And we just need to own up. I'm a a prodigal and I'm a Pharisee. So we need to understand religion doesn't work. We need to understand God will take us back. We need to confess. We need to repent. Number four, we need to understand that one of the hardest things in the world to do is to stop being the prodigal without becoming the older brother one of the hardest things to do is to stop being the prodigal without becoming the older brother. Which leads right away to number five. We've got to get this message out. If you invite somebody to come to church with you, if you invite somebody to your small group or to a Bible study or whatever, they hear that today as an invitation to be an older brother. Come join us. We're really good people. We're very, we're very righteous. We do the right thing. Come join us and vote for our political party. Come join us and think the way we think. We really are better than everybody else. That's the way it gets understood today. As opposed to, there is a loving, gracious God who, who sent his son to die in our place, and he will meet us wherever we're at. we got to get that message out. That's not the message that we're getting out. And then um, the final point. There is a third brother. Right? So there's, there's, not just, there's not just the two brothers in this story. There's actually a third brother that most people don't think about. The third brother is the one telling the story. And he's the true older brother. See, one of the other things that a first century Jewish audience would have wondered about... And this is what Bailey says when he tells this story. This is the question they ask. Where's the older brother? When the younger son goes off the rails, when he sells everything, heads to the distant land, why doesn't the older brother go and get him back? That's the job of the older brother. That's what a good older brother does. He keeps the family together. He mediates between the father and the others in the family. Why doesn't the older brother do that? That's their question. Well, we have an older brother who does that. Right? That's, what, that's what Jesus does. Right? He leaves the father to go to the distant land. And he makes it all right. He does what has to be done in order to win back the prodigals so they can come home. There is a third brother, and that is Jesus, our Savior. He is our perfect older brother, and he does for us what the classic older brother doesn't do. I want to encourage you. This is a, this is a story that keeps on giving, right? And, and it calls us up, whether we're the prodigal or the Pharisee. It, it should catch us, take our breath away a little bit for us to realize all the things that Jesus is communicating in this powerful story. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, uh, your love, your grace, your, your willingness to, uh, to have us back. The image of you running is, is, uh, is sort of unthinkable. The idea that uh, that if we turn, if we if we just call it what it is, we come to our senses as we're told the prodigal does. If we come to our senses and realize that we're better off going back, and and we we own our sin and we begin to walk back, that you welcome us back. And, and there are robes, and there's a signet ring, and there are shoes to be put on our feet. There's, there's a, a reinstatement. Father, that's a story we can hardly believe. We confess that we are alternately prodigals and, and Pharisees, and sometimes manage to be both at the same time. We think we're better than other people. We think we're, we're, we're doing fine. We're earning our way. We're impressing you with how good we are. Forgive us of all of that. And help us to get the message out of your grace. Help us to, to, to communicate that kind of radical, scandalous grace that you have for broken people. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the perfect older brother. We thank you that you did what the older brother in this parable did not do. You went after us. So we thank you and praise you for that. May we be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.